Chapter Twenty Three of The Tenant of Wildfell Hall by Anne Bronte. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. February eighteenth, eighteen twenty two. Early this morning, Arthur mounted his hunter and set off in high glee to meet the hounds. He will be away all day, and so I will amuse myself with my neglected diary, if I can give that name to such an irregular composition. It is exactly four months since I opened it last. I am married now, and settled down as Mrs. Huntington of Grassdale Manor. I have had eight weeks' experience of matrimony. And do I regret the step I have taken? No, though I must confess, in my secret heart, that Arthur is not what I thought him at first, and if I had known him in the beginning as thoroughly as I do now, I probably never should have loved him, and if I loved him first, and then made the discovery, I fear I should have thought it my duty not to have married him. To be sure I might have known him, for every one was willing enough to tell me about him, and he himself was no accomplished hypocrite. But I was willfully blind, and now, instead of regretting that I did not discern his full character, before I was dissolubly bound to him, I am glad, for it has saved me a great deal of battling with my conscience, and a great deal of consequent trouble and pain, and whatever I ought to have done, my duty now is plainly to love him, and to cleave to him, and this just tallies with my inclination. He is very fond of me, almost too fond. I could do with less caressing and more rationality. I should like to be less of a pet, and more of a friend, if I might choose. But I won't complain of that. I am only afraid his affection loses in depth where it gains in ardour. I sometimes liken it to a fire of dry twigs and branches, compared with one of solid coal, very bright and hot, but if it should burn itself out, and leave nothing but ashes behind, what shall I do? But it won't. It shan't, I am determined and surely I have power to keep it alive. So let me dismiss that thought at once. But Arthur is selfish. I am constrained to acknowledge that, and, indeed, the admission gives me less pain than might be expected, for since I love him so much, I can easily forgive him for loving himself. He likes to be pleased, and it is my delight to please him. And when I regret this tendency of his, it is for his own sake, not for mine. The first instance he gave was on the occasion of our bridal tour. He wanted to hurry it over, for all the continental scenes were already familiar to him. Many had lost their interest in his eyes, and others had never had anything to lose. The consequence was, that after a flying transit through part of France and part of Italy, I came back nearly as ignorant as I went, having made no acquaintance with persons and manners, and very little with things, my head swarming with a motley confusion of objects and scenes. Some, it is true, leaving a deeper and more pleasing impression than others, but these embittered by the recollection that my emotions had not been shared by my companion, but that, on the contrary, when I had expressed a particular interest in anything that I saw, or desired to see, it had been displeasing to him, inasmuch as it proved that I could take delight in anything disconnected with himself. As for Paris, we only just touched at that, and he would not give me time to see one-tenth of the beauties and interesting objects of Rome. He wanted to get me home, he said, to have me all to himself, and to see me safely installed as the mistress of Grasdale Manor, just as single-minded, as naive, and piquant as I was, and as if I had been some frail butterfly, he expressed himself fearful of rubbing the silver off my wings, by bringing me into contact with society, especially that of Paris and Rome, and moreover, he did not scruple to tell me, that there were ladies in both places that would tear his eyes out, if there happened to meet him with me. Of course I was vexed at all this, but still it was less the disappointment to myself that annoyed me, than the disappointment in him, and the trouble I was at to frame excuses to my friends for having seen and observed so little, without inputting one particle of blame to my companion. 
but when we got home to my new delightful home i was so happy and he was so kind that i freely forgave him all and i was beginning to think my lot too happy and my husband actually too good for me if not too good for this world when on the second sunday after our arrival he shocked and horrified me by another instance of his unreasonable exaction we were walking home from the morning service for it was a fine frosty day and as we are so near the church i had requested the carriage should not be used helen said he with unusual gravity i am not quite satisfied with you i desired to know what was wrong but will you promise to reform if i tell you yes if i can and without offending a higher authority ah there it is you see you don't love me with all your heart i don't understand you arthur at least i hope i don't pray tell me what i have done or said amiss it is nothing you have done or said it is something that you are you are too religious now i like a woman to be religious and i think your piety one of your greatest charms but then like all other good things it may be carried too far to my thinking a woman's religion ought not to lessen her devotion to her earthly lord she should have enough to purify and etherealize her soul but not enough to refine away her heart and raise her above all human sympathies and am i above all human sympathies said i no darling but you are making more progress towards that saintly condition than i like for all these two hours i have been thinking of you and wanting to catch your eye and you were so absorbed in your devotions that you had not even a glance to spare for me i declare it is enough to make one jealous of one's maker which is very wrong you know so don't excite such wicked passions again for my soul's sake i will give my whole heart and soul to my maker if i can i answered and not one atom more of it to you than he allows what are you sir that you should set yourself up as a god and presume to dispute possession of my heart with him to whom i owe all i have and all i am every blessing i ever did or ever can enjoy and yourself among the rest if you are a blessing which i am half inclined to doubt don't be so hard upon me helen and don't pinch my arm so you're squeezing your fingers into the bone arthur continued i relaxing my hold of his arm you don't love me half as much as i do you and yet if you loved me far less than you do i would not complain provided you loved your maker more i should rejoice to see you at any time so deeply absorbed in your devotions that you had not a single thought to spare for me but indeed i should lose nothing by the change for the more you loved your god the more deep and pure and true would be your love to me at this he only laughed and kissed my hand calling me a sweet enthusiast then taking off his hat he added but look here helen what can a man do with such a head as this the head looked right enough but when he placed my hand on the top of it it sunk in a bed of curls rather alarmingly low especially in the middle you see i wasn't made to be a saint said he laughing if god meant me to be religious why didn't he give me proper organ of veneration you are like the servant i replied who instead of employing his one talent in his master's service restored it to him unimproved alleging as an excuse that he knew him to be a hard man reaping where he had not sown and gathering where he had not strawed of him to whom less is given less will be required but our utmost exertions are required of us all you are not without the capacity of veneration and faith and hope and conscience and reason and every other requisite to a christian's character if you choose to employ them but all our talents increase in the using and every faculty both good and bad strengthens by exercise therefore if you choose to use the bad or those which tend to evil till they become your masters 
and neglect the good till they dwindle away, you have only yourself to blame. But you have talents, Arthur, natural endowments, both of heart and mind and temper, such as many a better Christian would be glad to possess. If you would only employ them in God's service, I should never expect to see you a devotee, but it is quite possible to be a good Christian without ceasing to be a happy, merry-hearted man. You speak like an oracle, Helen, and all you say is indisputably true, but listen here. I am hungry, and I see before me a good substantial dinner. I am told that if I abstain from this to-day, I shall have a sumptuous feast to-morrow, consisting of all manners of dainties and delicacies. Now, in the first place, I should be loth to wait till to-morrow when I have the means of appeasing my hunger already before me. In the second place, the solid viands of to-day are more to my taste than the dainties that are promised to me. In the third place, I don't see to-morrow's banquet, and how can I tell that it is not all a fable? got up by the greasy-faced fellow that is advising me to abstain in order that he may have all the good victuals to himself. In the fourth place, this table must be spread for somebody, and as Solomon says, who can eat, or who else can hasten hereunto more than I? And finally, with your leave, I'll sit down and satisfy my craving of to-day, and leave to-morrow to shift for itself. Who knows but what I may secure both this and that? But you are not required to abstain from the substantial dinner of to-day. You are only advised to partake of these coarse of viands in such moderation as not to incapacitate you from enjoying the choicer banquet of to-morrow. If, regardless of that counsel, you choose to make a beast of yourself now, and overeat, and overdrink yourself till you turn the good victuals into poison, who is to blame if hereafter, while you are suffering the torments of yesterday's gluttony and drunkenness, you see more temperate men sitting down to enjoy themselves at that splendid entertainment which you are unable to taste. Most true, my patron saint. But again our friend Solomon says, There is nothing better for a man than to eat, and to drink, and to be merry. And again, returned I, he says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou, that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Well, but, Helen, I am sure I've been very good these last few weeks. What have you seen amiss in me, and what would you have me to do? Nothing more than you do, Arthur. Your actions are all right so far, but I would have your thoughts changed. I would have you to fortify yourself against temptation, and not to call evil good, and good evil. I should wish you to think more deeply, to look further, and aim higher than you do. End of chapter 23